this podcast with Peter Economy about his new book, Wait, I Am the Boss, is brought to you by Maria Cuban Whitesell. She is the author of a new book entitled You Can't Do It Alone, A Widow's Journey Through Loss, Grief, and the Life Thereafter. Please join Maria and Greg on Podcast 790 as they discuss Maria and Sean, her husband's personal story, as they battled Sean's geoblastoma. Her heartwarming story takes you through the ups and downs, and you'll learn what is necessary to cope and comfort their five-year-old son, Gus, through the whole process. Her book is emotional, yet filled with practical advice for anyone dealing with the prospective loss of a loved one. If you want to learn more about Maria, her book, You Can't Do It Alone, and their personal story, please go to www.mariaquiban.com. I hope you enjoy this wonderful interview with someone whose words can comfort and support caregiving for someone dealing with life-threatening diseases. Now, please enjoy this featured podcast with Peter Economy about his new book entitled, Wait, I Am the Boss. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host, and hopefully I ask you questions in a very engaging way and Socratic method. So let's see if we can pull that out of you about the book. And this morning, joining me from not very far away, because for all my listeners, they know I live in Encinitas, we have Peter Economy, and his new book is right here, and it's called Wait, I'm the Boss, um, The Essential Guides for New Managers to Succeed from Day One. Good morning to you, Peter. How are you doing in La Jolla? So far away. <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm doing great. Thanks so much. It's great to be here this morning. Thank you. Well, it's great to have you on the show and spend a few minutes with our listeners talking about your new book. And our audience is filled with managers and people that are mid-management and upper management. So this is a perfect topic for them. Um, I'm going to let them know, Peter, a tad bit about you before we get mm -hmm. started. Uh, mm -hmm. Peter is a best-selling business author, ghostwriter, development editor, publishing consultant with more than 100, now I'll repeat that, 100 books to his credit and more than 3 million copies sold. So quite the uh, prolific author, folks. Peter's uh, latest book, the one we're going to be talking about, Wait, I Am the Boss, is a Red Row Wiser book. We're going to put a link to Amazon to be able to purchase that book. He also helped create, unlearn, let go of past successes to achieve extraordinary results. Everything I learned about life, I learned in dance class. The Leadership Gap, What Gets Between You and Your Greatness, Managing for Dummies, uh, Story Mapping, Discovering the Whole Story, Build the Right Product, The Management Bible, and the list goes on. He is the leadership guy on Inc.com uh, for more than a decade and served as associate editor of Leader to Leader magazine, uh, published by Francis Hasselbein. She is the Leadership Forum in New York. She's also um, the CEO of, was, I guess she still is, Girl used Scouts. Used to be. Used to, used to, used be. to be. Yeah. Okay. So the Girl Scouts of America. Uh, Peter taught uh, Management 453, Creativity and Innovation, as a lecturer at San Diego State, my alma mater. Thank you, ah. Peter. I might have been there 
who, who knows? I'm maybe not taking classes from you. You're not that much older than me. Uh, he's a graduate of Stanford. He has lots of accolades, and we're, it's an honor to have you on the show with us today and to speak about your book. Now, people, you can get to Peter by going to www.petereconomy, that's just like economy, E-C-O-N-O-M-Y.com, and that's where you can learn more about his books and about Peter. So, Peter, in the introduction of your book, um, you cite research about, from Zanger uh, about training new managers, and only after they've been there about 10 years does any really formal management training ever occur. You know, I really never thought about that, but Zanger reported on this, and you stated there were three problems that are arise um, when new managers are not given proper training. What are those three problems that Zanger researched that you think are so important that happen when managers aren't trained properly? Yeah, Greg, it's really kind of shocking uh, what what Zanger did find out. You know, basically, uh, you're 42 years old before you receive any management training at all. And uh, the problem is, is that when you don't get trained in in becoming a good manager, you'll develop bad habits. I mean, you you the only thing you can do to learn management is to look around you and see what other people are doing. And, you know, the statistics are pretty brutal that, you know, I think Gallup has found that bad bosses are the number one reason why people leave companies. Um, it's because of a bad boss. So there's a lot of bad bosses out there and they're, they're giving examples to other people. So if you're learning to become a new manager or you're an established manager, even, and if the examples you're getting are bad managers, then you're going to ingrain bad habits. That's, that's one of the things Zanger found is that you're going to pick up those bad habits and they're going to be your own bad habits. And, you know, there's an old saying that, um, you know, practice makes perfect, but if the, the practice that you're trying to make perfect is a bad habit, um, that's not any good either. So um, you really need perfect practice to make perfect, you know, results. And, you know, whether or not you're, you're training your managers, your, your new managers, your new supervisors are practicing on the job. They're, they're going to learn on the job whether you're training them or not. And again, it all comes back to these bad habits. They're going to ingrain bad habits. And, and once they've got those bad habits, it's really hard to break them. Well, yeah, and that's a really good point that you're making. And, you know, another thing, because the book is really filled, I just want to let my listeners know, with great advice and it's laid out really exceptionally well because of the way you break out each chapter and you break out the sections of the book and what people are doing. You mentioned that there has long been a controversy about the differences between what managers and leaders do. You know, I've always thought about that myself. People say, are you a leader or a manager? What is the difference and what is it that managers really should be doing versus leaders doing? Yeah. Well, I think when people think about managers versus leaders, you think of an operational person. So managers are operational. They, they have to get things done. I mean, that's the person who has to get things done. And they're responsible for, you know, achieving an organization's goals, making things happen, putting, I guess, the mission and vision into practice. Whereas leaders are considered to be more inspirational as opposed to operational. You know, you can be an inspirational leader, and maybe not get so much done. So I think the perfect manager it combines both of those, those aspects. They're operational and they're inspirational both. They combine great management, operational techniques and, and skills, 
with inspirational, you know, leadership skills. So um, great, great managers, um, they empower their people, they energize their people, they communicate really well, and they support their people. Um, they provide all four of those, those things um, together in parallel and, and more or less depending on the situation, what their people need. Yeah, it is, you know, managers, as you said earlier, you know, if they're, if they're literally trained wrong, then it's going to come out wrong. Uh, I think the reality is, is that um, the differences with managers is they're usually getting a lot done. They are strategic, but they're really more about doing with their teams, right? How do we accomplish this goal? How do we accomplish this objective? And you speak a lot about that. You have a section in the book about managers setting smart and clear goals. Um, what are the differences and why is having both of those goals, a smart and a clear goal, so important? Right. Um, I think we've all heard of smart goals. I know um, Managing for Dummies, which I wrote uh, with my friend Bob Nelson back in 1996, was one of my first books and uh, has sold, I think, 700,000 copies over the years, um, 20 different languages. But SMART goals is in that book, and that's specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-bound. And that's, that's a great system. Um, but I've got a, a colleague, a friend named Adam Creek, who was a, uh, he's a, an Olympian from 2008 Beijing Olympics. They won yeah, the he was just on our show. He wrote a book, ah. the response. He was on the show about a month ago, and Adam and I have become great friends as a result. So Okay, great. Yeah. yeah he's, a, he's an amazing guy. Yeah. And, and for Canada, he won the, you know, they won the 2000 gold medal for uh, rowing. Medal. Plus exactly. he, plus he rowed all the way from South Africa to uh, uh, North America. And did you know right. that? They, they, yeah, they rowed and uh, that, I mean, four guys rowed across the Atlantic ocean, which is amazing. Right. right. Um, he came up with this system called clear goals, which he, he believes is, is a, a, a modern, a more modern response because I think business has changed and, and he'll tell you that. And I'll tell you that. I mean, you know, everybody knows that business has changed considerably since the sixties, the seventies. I'm not sure when smart goals were originally um, developed, but I think it was sixties or seventies. And, you know, the business world was a lot, a lot less collaborative. It was, it was more top-down, um, hierarchical. Um, now it's much, much more agile. It's much more collaborative. It's much more um, team-based, like you said. So um, Adam Creek's idea was for these clear goals, which stands for collaborative, limited, emotional, appreciable, and refinable. So it's much more agile, much more... Um, key to an environment that's changing all the time and, and changing much more quickly. And you've got to be able to shift your goals and adapt quickly. That's, that's basically the basis of that. So I think both approaches work well and, and you can use both to, to develop goals. Yeah, I would agree with you. And I think that it's a blending of those. It's kind of a, a synchronicity of working between the two. You've got to have both, you know, and the goals for managers in the workforce is really cooperation. Uh, with their workforce and accomplishing common goals and milestones. And sometimes these goals are not achieved and we need to ascertain why and do performance reviews because, mm -hmm. hey, if somebody isn't reaching the, you know, our objectives or our goals, 
Um, we have to do performance reviews. And even performance reviews, Peter, have been thrown out by many big companies by peer performance reviews. Adobe, for instance, with 9,000 employees, uses peer performance reviews. What's the importance of these performance reviews in your estimation, and how would you go about doing performance reviews? Right. Well, performance reviews are incredibly important. And, you know, I think there's a couple of aspects to that. You know, everybody needs to know how they're performing. I mean, you, you set goals with, with your people. I mean, you, you work with your people to set goals. And then you've got to hold them accountable. And they've got to hold themselves accountable to achieving those goals. And the only way that they really know if they're doing what they're supposed to do is when you give them feedback. I remember Ken Blanchard, you know, years ago said that feedback is the breakfast of champions. And that's what, you know, performance reviews are all about. Although I would also caveat that you should not wait until a, an annual performance review to tell your employees how they're doing to provide them with feedback. You should be providing them with constant feedback um, all the time. But to, to provide a, an effective performance review, you've really got to set those standards and goals up front. That's the first thing you do. And you provide specific feedback um, to your people. So, you know, based on those standards and goals, provide them specific feedback on how they're doing against those standards and goals. And um, you prepare a written former, uh, formal performance evaluation with your employee. You work through it with them. And then once you've developed that and, and work through it with them, then you set new standards and new goals. I mean, every six-month period, every year, however often your formal process is, then you need to set new standards and new goals at the end of that, that, that review. Yeah, I've seen these performance reviews and actually been involved in many companies helping them put them together. And they, I've seen them morphed in so many great ways over the years. And I think it's exceptional when you actually have peer performance reviews. And, you know, look, we're sitting here in the, in the midst of a pandemic. Businesses are moving in different directions. We're seeing uh, 30 million plus people unemployment. And the world of business is really changing, I say, at the speed of light. It seems like the ability to be flexible and adapt and change is really important. And with that comes learning. Um, we all have to learn new skills. I'm doing another interview next week on ultra learning. You know, what are some of the ways to create and foster what I would call um, adaptability, flexibility, uh, resiliency, uh, inside these companies and also in the learning side, as far as learning is concerned. Right. Well, I think that performance, good performance is based on, on learning. I mean, I think that, um, you know, we, we do things well and we learn from that. We do things not so well. We learn from that too. We learn lessons from our successes. We learn lessons from our failures. And the key for, I think, any manager to provide a, a, an environment that, that's suited to, to learning is to eliminate the fear that goes along with making mistakes. Um, you've got to create an open environment that welcomes employees to try things, to, to do new things. Um, you know, so many employees are at the front lines. They're the ones who actually see what customers are doing. They're the ones that know if your products, your services are, are providing value to your customers. And if they're not, you know, what can be done to, to change that. So, you know, managers need to create a, uh, what, what my, uh, one of my colleagues calls a safe to fail environment. It's got to be, you know, you got to provide that safety to your employees to eliminate the fear they may feel to try new things. 
and to learn lessons, which are, are critically important. Mm-hmm. And well, then you, also, I'm sorry, go ahead. I think what you're alluding to really is this blended learning that's been going on for some time. But more importantly, the, the things that you're learning are from experience. So it's experiential learning. In other words, how do I learn in a team and community environment experiential? And how do I bring in this team to make my learning go quicker? You know, that's what we're seeing more of is because, you know, learning in numbers seems to be better than just going down and reading a book because there's no experience from that. But if you take what you learn from the book and you share it with the team, like your book, let's just say, and somebody did a lunch and learn around the book, there'd be a lot more learning going on because you'd be sharing everything from within the book. Um, That to me is the kind of learning that has to occur. That's one small little example. Um, And the other thing that goes on that's been going on for eons, Peter, is meetings can become a drag. There's too many of them. It also seems like too much time is spent in these meetings, right? It's like, oh no, another meeting. How can managers improve meetings with better outcomes and actions for the participants? Because, you know, look, you go into a meeting, you say it's important, you walk out of the meeting, how many people either had a pad and a pencil or, or, or they had their iPad there and they were taking notes or whatever they were doing. The reality is, I'd say 80% of those meetings go by the wayside, you know? Yeah, and, and there's been all sorts of research on this. And I know that the old statistic, and it, I think it's still true for, you know, for some reason, I don't know why it hasn't really changed, but the old statistic was that 67% of all meeting time is wasted. I mean, basically, that's just a waste. Um, 67% of the time that people spend in meetings is, is wasted. And that's an average. I mean, some some more, some less. But um, there's so many things that people, that managers can do to make meetings better. I, I know it used to be a pet peeve of mine when when someone would call a meeting and then they, they would be late. You know, they would be late. The manager who called the meeting was late. Right. Or people would wander in. I mean, the people who are participating in the meeting um, didn't honor the time. They would wander in late. And, and you have to start the meeting over again because you'd have to catch them up. I mean, it's like, oh, we've got to catch this person up so they know what we just did for the last 15 minutes because they were late. Um, so be on time. Um, invite the right people to the meeting. You know, don't invite people to your meeting that shouldn't, that it's just going to waste their time. That aren't going to have some sort of input to the meeting or some, something to gain from the meeting. Get the right people in there. Be prepared. I mean, I don't know how many people have meetings and there's no agenda. Um, this is something Jeff Bezos is super famous for. I know, I'm sure you're aware of this, Greg. You know, he has these, these six, what is it, six-page narratives that he requires his management team. The executive team doesn't have a meeting without them providing these six-page narratives that um, everyone has to read at the beginning of the meeting. So someone calls a meeting, um, this executive team. It's about a certain topic. Um, someone has to write a six-page narrative about what they're going to talk about in the meeting. And everybody has to read it at the beginning of the meeting. And that's what they talk about. Um, that's the focus of the meeting. So someone has to prepare that. It may take them weeks to prepare that six-page narrative and create it, an agenda. I'm but, sorry, it, but you know, your point is, is that by creating that narrative, they're accomplishing something. Exactly. You know, I was um, talking to Sally Quinn. She's a contributing editor of the Washington Post. She was married to Ben, the owner of the Washington Post right, before. Yeah. Yep, before. And she's going to be on my show next week. Wow. And And she said... 
uh, I said, hey, when Jeff Bezos came in and took over the Washington Post, you know, what, what are the meetings like? I was curious, just like you. Right. And this is a great story. She said, Greg, Jeff paid $200 million or whatever it was for the Washington Post. He said once a month, he has a meeting for one half hour with the editor, right? right. And it's a one half hour. And she says, that is the most intense meeting that you'd ever want to sit. She says, cause I sit in on them um, that you'd ever want to see. So in other words, in a half an hour, they accomplish a lot. So they basically just saying, Hey, he's super prepared. His attorneys have helped prepare whatever he's got, because there's all kinds of stuff going on around lawsuits and things, you know, you know how it can go. So you state that there are three great things that managers of today have to do to make a successful organization. Um, what are these three great things that have to happen, Peter? Right. Well, the, I think the first thing that, that um, any great manager has to do is, is create a supportive environment. So, uh, you know, people, employees need support, and that doesn't necessarily mean just, just money or salary. I mean, they need your time. They need your attention. Um, they need a manager who is going to help them do what they need to do. So provide the support that they need. Um, open communication channels. Um, there's so many different ways that we can communicate in organizations today. You know, all sorts of new flat platforms from Zoom to, um, uh, you know, diff- all these different things. Slack. I, I used to use Slack on Inc.com. We would communicate right. with, with each other on Slack. Um, email, websites, uh, Twitter. Um, there's so many different ways to communicate. So open those channels, communicate widely. And I think particularly when you're in a, in a crisis situation, mm-hmm. um, you mentioned that we're in this COVID situation right now and, and that, you know, managers need to communicate more than ever in a situation like this. Um, but they should always communicate widely and open those channels and then inspire and motivate. I mean, it's that leadership thing. Again, it's the leadership aspect of, of ma- being a manager you know, inspire your people, um, keep them motivated. Don't do things that demotivate them. Do things that, that get them excited about the mission and vision of your company. Do those things. Well, those, I mean, look, that's always been an issue. And, you know, to be successful, they need to do that. They need to have a vision. Um, and so you, you, one of the things that always is a problem, it's the hundredth monkey theory. It's around delegation. Now, how many times does it make it back to my desk? And for managers, that's a big one. Um, not finding the right person to delegate it to or the person that it, it doesn't have the right job skills. They don't perform it ro- uh, properly. Right. But delegation and delegating is so important. What tips do you have regarding delegation to our new managers who are out there listening to this podcast? Right. I think the number one thing is to delegate. I mean, I think the natural reaction for many managers is to keep the work themselves. And I was guilty of this when I was a manager. You know, every time I had something to do that I was asked to do by my manager, I would think, I would go through this thought process, should I do this myself? Because I know it'll get done right and it'll get done very quickly. Or should I hand this off to one of my people where I'll have to train them to do this and it may not get done well the first time. I may have to go through it two or three times. So I think sometimes that my own natural reaction was to go ahead and keep it myself because I knew I could get it done quickly and, and, and well. Uh, I think the first thing a manager, any manager has to go through is, is, to man, you know, is to delegate, decide to delegate, commit to delegating. 
And, and it's, it's such an important thing for any manager to do because that's how you get work done is, is through others. That's the typical, um, you know, definition of being a manager is getting work done through others. And you do that through delegation, but communicate what you want done, you know, communicate what, what they're supposed to, your employees supposed to do, provide the context that tells them why we're doing this and why is it important? Why is what they do important in that? You know, agree on the standards that, that you're going to hold them accountable to give them the authority they need to do the job and then provide them the support um, to do their job. And then get get a commitment from them. Ask them to commit to it, and and you know, say whether or not they're going to do it. And if they commit to it, then hold them accountable. As I was saying, if they can get it done, because that is a key factor. You know, you'd rather have an employee say, "Hey, look, this is too complicated for me. This isn't a task I can perform." Right. A lot of them, or you want them to stretch, and you say, "Hey, this is a stretch for you. I understand." work with your other colleagues to accomplish this because I believe you have it in it to do it. You know, those are ways that you grow the skills of those employees who maybe don't have those skills now. But, you know, you were asked by Francis uh, Hasselbein, the CEO of Girl Scouts, to update a book that Peter Drucker wrote called The Five Most Important Questions You Will Ever Ask About Your Organization. Um, that's really fascinating because Drucker is a longtime business management expert uh, from the Claremont Colleges where I used to live. Right. And um, what are the five most important questions that Drucker asked? Well, the first question is, what is our mission? So what, what is our company and what is our organization doing? So what is our mission? Second question is, who is our customer? And believe it or not, sometimes people aren't clear on who the customer actually is and why they're important. Uh, the third question is, what does our customer value? Uh, I do a lot of uh, book work with technology people, and they're always fighting over, you know, what does the customer actually value as opposed to what do what does the company value? I mean, sometimes they create products that they think are great, that the company thinks is great but the customer doesn't think is great. So what is the customer value is important. Uh, fourth question is what are our results? Um, this is data, you know, what are the quantitative results? Um, you've got to measure it, it's got to be measurable and you've got to measure it, uh, provide that feedback. And then what is our plan? Question, the fifth question is what is our plan? You know, how are we actually going to achieve these things? Um, and and it, was, it was just a joy to work on that book uh, with Francis Hesselbein and uh, to be able to work on something Peter Drucker had worked on. Yeah, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but I actually worked, uh, did two interviews with a gentleman who actually worked with Drucker, and Drucker asked him to rewrite certain things, and he's still doing it. He lives up in um, Pasadena area someplace, wow. an older gentleman. Yep. Wow. Yep. So he had the experience of not only being in the classroom, but working with Drucker. So it's fascinating. Um, Peter, what advice do you have about developing employees to meet the future needs of an organization? In other words, we're talking now about talent management, um, recruitment of people, the use of technologies, working people that have uh, can build their skills. What advice would you give managers out there listening today about that and how to recruit to and retain these kind of people? So this is a pretty big question. It's not only about recruiting for the skill set, but it's about uh, building up and recruiting and, and uh, training people. Yeah. Well, I think one of the most important things that managers have to do 
is understand what their organization is and what its what its culture is and what its values are. I mean, we're looking at the big picture here about an organization. Every organization has values. Every organization has a culture, and you want to hire people who are aligned with that, those values, that culture. And that's really the the most important thing that a manager does right at the beginning is to hire the right people to, like you said, recruit the people, identify who they are, uh, bring them in, interview the heck out of them, and then hire them. But make sure that you, you're getting the right people, the people who are aligned with your your values and culture. And then you want to assess where they're at. You know, where is, where is your company at? Where's your company going to go? Where's your organization going? And then look at each of your employees and say, and, and, and work with them to figure out what are their own strengths? What are their weaknesses? You know, what, what do they bring to the table that um, will help the organization in the future? And then where do you need to develop them? You know, where do they need help um, developing the skills they need, the knowledge they need to, to provide the best results they can in the future? Um, so you, you look at the present where they're at, then you develop, uh, create a development plan for them, for each of your employees. It mm-hmm. mm-hmm. helps them get to where they need to go. What training do they need? What, what aspects of, of learning do they need? And how can you help, how will the organization help them get there? And then follow through on that. You know, actually make sure that once you've got this plan in place, once the employees are working toward that plan, follow through, get feedback, you know, it's not too often to, to, to check in with your employee weekly and see how they're doing um, on, on their performance and on, on the results. Yeah, or to have your managers doing that and reporting to you if you happen to be the CEO or right. some upper level manager because you've got to you know, figure out and those development plans, I'm glad you brought that up because it's a really important element for a manager to have development plans but it's co-collaborated with the employee, right? It isn't something you make and then hand to somebody. It's something you sit down through, I'm going to say a series of questions Mm -hmm. to create this development plan and find out, I think most importantly, what inspires them. And then whatever's inspiring them is in alignment with the mission and the vision of the company. And those kind of things are so important to accomplish the goals because then if you recruit somebody, you're going to have a higher probability of retaining them if they're happy on the job and they're doing what they like doing. So, you know, that, that is a key element. And Peter, what final bit of advice would you like to leave our listeners with about how managers or would manage their organization that, make, that would make them more effective? You know, because this book is really about the essential guide to new managers to succeed. So when I see the word succeed, I also hear in there effectiveness, efficiency, productivity, um, all of the things that I think are written in this book are really about helping one become a lot more productive and efficient on the job as a manager. So any last words of advice? Yeah, I think that we all as managers need to, you know, go to the the results, go to the data, go to the measurable outcomes and 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 keep an eye on those. That's that's critically important to be efficient and and to perform well as a manager, but also don't forget the human side of management. I mean, your people, um management, business is built on relationships. Any, any business is built on relationships with customers, with vendors, with employees. 
so be human, be real, um, be someone who people can, can trust, you know, build those bridges of trust with your people. I think that's the most important thing that any manager can do to be effective is to, you know, build those relationships with your people that will, 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 will inspire them to do and to give the best of themselves every day of the week. So important. And Peter, I want to thank you for being on Inside Personal Growth and taking a few minutes with our listeners so that they could learn a little bit more about your book. And for our listeners, uh, we have been on with Peter Economy. The book is Wait, I'm the Boss. Uh, it is, you will have links to this. You will have links to www.petereconomy.com, an opportunity to see some of the other books. Go to Amazon as well. We talked about those at the beginning. Peter, pleasure having you on this show and spending a few minutes with me today uh, to talk about your new book and to help managers, more importantly, uh, become better managers. And those managers help their employees become more efficient employees. Everything we've talked about are important tips that people could use right now and apply it today. Uh, but I'm going to say pick up the book, read it, highlight it, put your yellow marker in it, take the things out of it you need, and then share it. Share it in groups. I think what's important is managers need to talk to other managers. Those managers need to know about it. Um, put up your lunch and learn and go use it. So thanks so much, Peter. Thank you, Greg. I had a blast. Thank you. This podcast has been brought to you by Thais Gibson, the author of a new book entitled Attachment Theory, A Guide to Strengthening the Relationships in Your Life. Please listen to Thais and Greg on podcast number 789 for a lively dialogue about the four basic forms of attachment styles show up in your relationships. And more importantly, what you can do to better cope and change how you personally show up in all your relationships, thus improving the quality of your relationships. If you want to learn more about attachment theory and Thais Gibson, please visit her website at www.personaldevelopmentschool.com where you can explore courses and learn more about Thais Gibson. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed Greg's interview with Peter Economy about his book, Wait, I'm the Boss, on podcast number 791.